This is Two Nerds in a Joke with Robert and Ernie. Background because they're doing work downstairs. Yeah, I saw I heard like a bang here or bang there, but if I'm really like clacking through the whole thing. Oh, okay. All right, we're recording again. Okay, let me do this. Let me get that energy back again. All right. Oh. All right. Three, two, one. Thanks, Disembody Hot Girl Voices. It's Two Nerds and Joke with Robert and Ernie. I'm Ernie. And I am Robert, here again to entertain you with all the fun. Ooh, I'm going into my crane kick as we speak. <laughs> it's a foot to the face. Uh, this much, <laughs> Which much like our episode. Which yes. was legal, okay? It was illegal. Somehow it's still illegal. Yes, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> definitely. It's, it is what it is, right? To movies, what are you going to do? <laughs> they break all the rules. Um, so you may be asking yourself, why are we back with more Cobra Kai? Well, because Ernie loves it so much. No, well, that's part of it. But um, uh, Jason Vaughn is back again, as you can see by the title of the episode. And there just wasn't enough time. I mean, we spent an hour on the first time and that was just going over the general concepts of the show and talking about the movies to the tv show and you know being adults reliving your past all that fun oh yeah so, it was just like unpacking like a like an old friend you know like an old toy that you haven't you know gone around and like messed around with for a while and you're kind of getting reacquainted with it it was kind of like <laughs> nostalgia and all the memories kicking back in it was a lot of fun but mm-hmm. man Cobra Kai, you have you have another part of the of the mythos, which is the next generation, like Daniel's kids and mm-hmm. Johnny's kids and like their friends and like this whole little valley universe, so to speak. Right. And it's a, it's a, those those darn kids, if you will, uh, have their own world to unpack. And they, 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 a lot of a lot of shows have done that. You know, they try to bring in a new generation and, and sometimes it goes well. Or, like Star Wars, it doesn't go so well. Um, but it, it is something that eventually has to happen in everything. Eventually the old people die and the new people have to come in and either are comfortable or not. I mean, and that's kind of what, what's going on here, obviously, without the death part. But still, another generation to take over what was done before. Um, so it leads to a lot of interesting things to talk about and unpacking, as Ernie said. Um, one of the things we talk about in this episode, which I'm really excited about or was excited to talk about, was mentorship, right? Because it's like... Being a parent but not a parent. Coaches. I have kids that are in sports. You've had kids that have been in sports. And it's like your coach is your coach. But as a father, what does that look like? You know, what does a coach relationship look like with your kid? Is it they're just a coach? Is it they're a father slash coach? Is it, you know, what does that look like? So kind of unpacking that and kind of talking about that in the Cobra Kai landscape and sports psychology landscape. Just really cool stuff. Um, so it's, it's it's a long episode. Um but it's so much to talk about. It's a, it's a nice, nice little video we put together for you guys. I'm hoping you're going to enjoy it. Make sure you follow us on all the normal stuff. Um, so enjoy um, Cobra Kai and uh, our good doctor being back again to talk to us about this. So very exciting stuff. Yes, he's going to paint the, fe- the fence, you know, wax the car, sand the floor, all of it. All of it all over again because a little nostalgia goes a long way. <laughs> All right, guys, you enjoy, and uh, we'll talk to you guys next time. And now, sports analysis of fictional characters with Dr. Jason Von Steins. All right, thanks for having me back. Uh, this is a lot of fun. I'm really excited to talk more about Cobra Kai. Yes. Our, 
our ongoing adventures uh, with the Cobra Kai kids and with the LaRussos, Miyagi-Do. Um, I realized that we haven't yet talked about sort of like the, the big the big elephants in the room, the big figures that are kind of looming over us. So uh, Mr. Miyagi and John Kreese, if I'm saying that right, uh, either Kreese or Creasy. Um, so the mentor figures, if you will. Yeah, yeah the, you got them. <laughs> yeah, because the, uh, these are the people who sort of pass down um, karate to to these kids. These kids are a part of, of their legacy. So it's really important to at least at least mention them. So starting with Mr. Miyagi, let's see, we don't usually hear his full name. Uh, and I'm not even actually sure how to pronounce his first name, but I think it's uh, Nariyoshi, Nariyoshi Miyagi, or something along those lines. Uh, my apologies if I got that wrong. Uh, Mr. Miyagi, he is um, uh, sort of a legend. He's a, a great man, a great figure, even if uh, you're not on board with Miyagi Miyagi-Do today, Mr. Miyagi is um, almost beyond criticism. I mean, I'm sure I'm sure there's criticisms, but he was uh, he was very very good at what he did, and he was a good man. So a little bit about Mr. Miyagi. He was born in Okinawa. He was the son of a fisherman, and he learned karate from his dad, who passed down Miyagi family style karate. Uh, Okinawa um, is the home of karate. That's where it all comes from. Uh, Mr. Miyagi is based off of another person named Miyagi, who was like the first person to to uh, do karate or to pass down a style of karate from Okinawa. Um, and then as so it again, is a specific. So this is a specific style from his family, and it's he's actually based on a real person then. Yeah, he's based off of a real person. Um, and then other than that, I don't know how much similarity there is between the Mr. Miyagi that we know and the the guy from like 1800s uh, Okinawa, also named Miyagi. But he's he's at least loosely based off of off of that historical figure. Um, and uh, so Mr. Miyagi that we know from the movies, he moved to uh, the United States as a young man. I believe in Karate Kid 2, they talk more about his motivations, uh, about why he moved. Like uh, there was sort of a love triangle and he was getting away from that. Um, Mr. Miyagi, went to, he went to college. Um, he met his wife. They had they were um, uh, they became pregnant. At that time, World War II started, and not everybody knows this, but Japanese Americans were put in internment camps at that time. Uh, in Karate Kid 1, we find out that uh, Mr. Miyagi's wife and unborn child died uh, during childbirth in an internment camp as Mr. Miyagi was fighting in uh, World War II. Um, Mr. And Miyagi that was the second movie then that this all kind of came about, right? That's the first movie. Really? Uh, oh wow. Okay. Yeah, there's a really, a really good, but sort of short scene of maybe just ten minutes. Right. Where, yeah, Mr. Miyagi's drunk. Um, he tells the story, but in sort of a kind of intoxicated, rambling way. Mm. But you're still able to pick out like what happened. Okay, I'll have to rewatch that scene because I, I vaguely remember it, but I don't remember all of that details because there's a lot of history there to unpack too. Um, almost enough for a prequel, almost. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. And then who knows that I think in the next season they at least hint that they could be going to Okinawa. So maybe that will come out. Maybe. Maybe uh, you'll meet some some no, like, no, that, brothers that, or something. That that first uh that first movie where it's laying the groundwork for like kind of like what you were talking about before where like how karate was traditionally passed down from father to son mm-hmm. and what he kind of led uh daniel to understand was you know the way you know to introduce him to karate it's uh, oh let me backtrack this i'm sorry because i had a whole bunch of thoughts while you were going sure. through this so the whole the whole premise of cobra kai is this valley right it's basically to, to control the 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 this valley and you have these two different factions right kind of similar to like feudal japan right mm. uh you have this one um you know this one i guess you would call him a shogun right or you would call him samurai who would who basically controlled them all right you, you have Kreese, who basically has had a monopoly on like the type of karate that's being taught in the valley because he was there long before Miyagi was there. If we if we follow the timeline of karate, karate that Kreese was teaching was more like combative, more aggressive, you know, strike first, strike hard. And Miyagi was more like, no, karate is about self-defense. It's about balance in your life. And, you know, uh, so you have Miyagi being the other, uh, I guess you would call samurai, basically you know, controlling this side of the faction, kind of like a yin and yang thing. And what you were talking about, the scene was when I think Daniel went to find him and found him wearing his old uniform and he was drunk singing, I guess, traditional Okinawan songs, I guess, to his ancestors or something like that. And, you know, Daniel went through the paperwork and saw that he won the the man. Uh, he found the letter uh, from the army stating that his wife had died in an internment camp, and that like really messed up Miyagi, basically. So I guess that's at that point Daniel realizes, you know, the stories of Miyagi talking about how karate is traditionally passed down, as opposed to Kreese, which is, hey, you 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 pay me a couple bucks, I'll show you how to punch and kick, right? Mm-hmm. And that's when you go into Karate Kid Part Two, you find out that Miyagi's like best friend kind of adopted that methodology right like he took over the island and became a ruthless businessman based off of that like hey you know my my ancestry is for sale in other words right right? it's no longer sacred so i'm sorry go on go on go because i like our (laughs) conversation sorry (laughs) well that brings up a lot of good points um so i'll just mention something or point something out and then uh maybe we can get back to it more later but in cobra kai the series and in um, the Karate Kid movies. I haven't seen the others in a while, but I've seen Karate Kid one recently, and and um, the series and the movies uh, do a really good job of pointing out um, wealth inequality and all the issues that stem from that. Uh, in the movie, Daniel Russo is a poor kid in Reseda, and then he is at odds with the rich, uh, privileged kids who can kind of just get away with anything that they want to do for the most part. And then in the series, we see uh, Miguel, who I believe is from Reseda um, at this point, and he's really struggling financially, and Johnny Lawrence is struggling financially. And then just down the street, there's um, you know many very wealthy people um, 
who don't necessarily have uh, too many uh, concerns other than the poor riffraff who are causing problems and they're a bad influence. And some, something needs to be done about those, those um, violent poor people. Um, so, so, so the, the Karate Kid series and, and the Cobra Kai series do a really good job of highlighting that. I'm from California. I'm not specifically from the Valley, but I've been there a, a good amount of times working. Um, and then I grew up in a, a small uh, Mexican-American working class neighborhood right next to a um, upper middle class, um, a more white neighborhood and there's there's conflict there's uh you know there's dirty looks there's there's people having or like there's i guess you could say reputations or Mm -hmm. you know uh, beliefs about other groups so this kind of stuff really does happen i i would imagine everywhere but especially in the la area that uh that the show's highlighting right it's a little more or dramatic it's a little more in your face a little more present where in other parts of the country it may be a little more subtle, I guess would be the word right. for it, than, than it is there. And there are certain places in, in America in general where that is the case, where it's very, very in-your-face and very clear-cut who's against whom. Um, and that is kind of an undertone of the movies as well, is that class differential. But I think that also kind of pulls over from the 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 Japanese or the, the beginnings of the show with Miyagi and, the, and his life. And being the poor guy with one style and, right. you know, the guy, it kind of pulls through even from those those ancestry things and kind of pulls through that story even to the, the kids um, in, in this, in the in the show itself, too. So it's kind of a, an interesting trend that kind of goes throughout the whole thing. So it's, it's kind of a the conflict of style, the conflict of wealth, the conflict of personality, you know, being wrong kind of fills through in a multiple of levels there for, for them to deal with. Right, exactly. And then that brings us back well, to... Well, also, yeah. I wanted to, to touch on... Uh, sorry about that. I wanted to touch on what you were talking about as far as, you know, being in California, where, like, you see Cobra Kai Season 1 kind of set up, like, how kids... How these kids are kind of, like, falling into their little niches, especially during this time of their development. Uh, yeah. You had uh, Daniel Russo's daughter who mm-hmm. used to hang out with everybody. Like, she didn't care, like, what status they had until she hit high school, and then it became, like, a status, popularity, hanging out with the rich kids mm-hmm. because she was rich. You know, mm-hmm. they go, they have the fancy beach club and everything. But you know what? There's some people that don't fit into that mold, right? Like her best yeah. friend, who she basically turned her back on. And, <laughs> you know, it was kind of like like what we were talking about in the la- last time we spoke about it. It was like, you know, Miguel... Being this good kid, you know, not being able to, like, have all the cool stuff, but he's constantly getting harangued by these other kids who, Mm -hmm. you know, if you looked at him from a distance, you're like, he's a pretty good kid. You know, he comes from a good family. They're well off. You know, he's he's so polite. But then, like, when no one's looking, he's, like, bullying these kids, right? right? He's terrorizing them. Like, these kids are completely, like, stressed out. Like, you would say on a verge of what? Uh, Post-traumatic stress, right? Like some of them like it have like self-esteem issues, you know, they, they have self-confidence and these guys are just like beating them down until, you know, they meet Mr. Lawrence. Right. And he does his own version of let me save the let me save Miguel a la Miyagi helping out Daniel. Right. 
Right, exactly. Yeah, um, and then let me, I, I feel like we could definitely talk about that for a long time. So let me wrap up with Mr. Miyagi real quick and then get back to that because I have a lot of thoughts about that too. Um, one of the last things I just want to point out that's really cool about Mr. Miyagi is he was part of the 40, uh, 442nd Regiment or what was it, uh, the 442nd Regimental Combat Team. In, in Karate Kid 1, you see like real quick, there's just like a piece of paper or a sign that says he was part of the 442nd. That was actually a segregated all Japanese American uh, combat unit that fought in World War II. Uh, many of the soldiers were recruited from American internment camps where they were placed against their will. And it has the highest number of uh, recipients of, medal of medals of honor. Uh, Mr. Miyagi got a medal of honor. There was uh, 21 people in total who got a medal of honor from that segregated unit. Um, so I just wanted to point that out real quick. And, and this is Mr. Miyagi. This is his history. He's the great man who then passes down this legacy to LaRusso and to uh, the kids in Miyagi-Do. They're a part of that legacy. Uh, so I just want to point that out real quick. And then as far as um, – actually, any comments before we talk about uh, uh, what we were talking about before? Uh, yeah, my my thing was like, you know, in judging at it from – in looking at that, would you not say that like he kind of like replaces Daniel's father in a way? Because like he, he's like, I'm going to pass on family tradition on to you. Right. right? So – I don't know if you kind of get the sense from the first Karate Kid. Does it does it translate over into Cobra Kai is the next question. Do you sure. kind of see that happening there? Absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, so uh, Dan, uh, Mr. Miyagi never has children. He never remarries. So we don't know a, a lot about what happens uh, in those decades before he meets uh, Daniel. But then he does basically adopt Daniel, and he takes him in as his mentee and um, – he teaches him about uh, karate. He teaches him about a balance in all of life. He teach, He gives him a car. He he uh, helps him in all these different ways. Um, and so so uh, and and we vaguely hear that Daniel Larusso's his dad either died when he was really young or something like that happened. And we just know his dad's <coughs> excuse me. His dad's just not in his life. Um, so Mr. Miyagi really fills that role. And then Daniel is hoping to be able to fill that role for uh, for his students. Um, Daniel LaRusso does have his own children, and he has a good relationship with his daughter. His son, we, we don't know if that's just like a snapshot and like right now, maybe they're not really talking very much. But we know at least at least for the moment, he doesn't have too much of a relationship with his actual son. But um but yeah, he does kind of take on all these students as uh, as their mentor and sort of father figure type. And then we do see that in Cobra Kai as well. Uh, John Kreese is um, he's sort of everybody's abusive stepdad in Cobra Kai. He's <laughs> he does help them. He does take care of them. They he does kind of raise them up out of their bad situation. Uh, Johnny Lawrence. Had his he had a stepdad who was rich but was emotionally abusive would always put him down. John Kreese has a different form of emotional abuse, but he does kind of uh, 
encourage him to keep training. He does support him saying, you know, in, this is abusive, but it's also helpful in a sense. It was helpful for Johnny to say like, hey, you know, don't be a loser. You know, don't don't cry. Crying <laughs> is for losers. You're not a loser, right? So, so it's, it's, it's an interesting way of going about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's manipulative. It's not the best way, but it does help Johnny more than his, you know, his current actual stepdad is helping him. Um, and then Johnny, you know, Johnny is Johnny Lawrence as a sensei. He's doing his best. He's trying. He realized that John Kreese was a bad influence and he wants to do better than him. And he's stumbling along the way. But he is um, he is reflecting on his mistakes and reflecting on his own life and thinking, you know what? I I did things that were bad. I want to help them to do things in a better way. I want to help them to be better than I ever was. It, but, you know, I still want them to be badass, though. I still want them to, you know, right. he still has that Cobra Kai Johnny <laughs> flavor to it. But he is helping them as a, a father figure type. So let me ask you. because So you, I have a question for you. Oh, sorry. Go, no, sorry. Yeah, go ahead, Ernie. <laughs> uh, I had a, sorry about that, guys, because I'm, re- I'm really into the show, too. <laughs> um, so... I was going to ask you your thoughts on, you know, Kreese's influence on Johnny and as far as the fact of that he didn't really have a father mm-hmm. except for his stepdad. And in Cobra Kai season one, you find out that his dad just put up with him like he was a like another bill to pay. Right. Um, but he really loved his mom. That's that was the whole purpose right. of it. Right. Like, I'm only doing this out of obligation to your mom, your mom. And then, like, his mom passes away and. Apparently, like, he's been sponging off of him, right? Anytime he gets in trouble, he comes and bails him out. And then, like, rolls are reversed, and he kind of throws the money back into his lap. Is like, here, I basically paid all my debt to you. I don't want to hear from you again. However, in the movie, The Karate Kid, do you think, like, he realizes that he was looking for a father figure in Crease, but he saw the way he was acting in the tournament? And mm-hmm. especially after, in Karate Kid Part 2, where he almost killed him, right? Like he, like he was ready to like put an end to him, and everyone tried to help him. It wasn't until Miyagi stepped in. So, do you think that Johnny Lawrence like never recovered from that moment, and that's what he's carried on through this whole time? And we're starting to see, like you said, Lawrence kind of bringing in these kids and like teaching them the error of his ways. But then, like he lets Crease back in. What's is there? What's the, what's the psychology behind all that? Sure, sure. Um, yeah, it's that's a, a good point. And uh, John Kreese was his his father figure. And then during the tournament, we do see that not only Johnny but the rest of the Cobra Kai guys they start to feel kind of weird about uh, Sensei Kreese. They're, you know, uh, Kreese is telling them to uh, uh, he tells one of the guys to to take out uh, LaRusso's leg even and the guy's like what no I can beat this guy just let me win like no take out his leg like ah so so then he does that he didn't want to he says sorry after uh and then Johnny Johnny wants to just beat LaRusso you know in more of a a straightforward way he just wants to out karate him and then Kreese is telling him to uh sweep the leg uh you know to do these things that Johnny doesn't really want to do and you can see that that there's a look on Johnny's face like this isn't this isn't right Uh, and then after after the fight we know that uh there's that great uh, freeze frame moment where uh Johnny says 
you're all right, LaRusso, and then hands him the trophy. So so there we see, okay, Johnny, he probably had some kind of aha moment where he goes, you know what, this LaRusso kid, he's okay. This Crease guy, ah, man, I disagree with the way he just handled things. You know, it's not just black and white. It's not just LaRusso bad, uh, Cobra Kai good. You know, and he, he starts to uh, open up more uh, to different – you know, uh, to different thoughts. Um, and then after we see, uh, you know, in the beginning of Karate Kid 2, we see that uh, Kreese is very upset at Johnny for losing. You know, Kreese only cares about winning. And uh, then he he attacks uh, Johnny and, and is, is, you know, choking him out. Um, and then the rest of the Cobra Kai guys, uh, they try to help Johnny. And then at the end, Mr. Miyagi intervenes and then the Cobra Kai guys are like, screw this, and they walk off. And it looks as if they're saying, uh, we quit Cobra Kai. Um, and then I think in the series they kind of allude to that. At, at, at the very least, they're looking back at John Kreese and like, uh, F that guy. We don't like him. Screw him. He he turned us into bullies. Um, so so uh, he definitely had that shift. And uh, as far as if he never recovered from that moment, that's – I hadn't quite thought of, of that before, but it does make sense. So Johnny, growing up, didn't really have a healthy father figure. He had a stepfather who only saw him as a burden and was just going to throw money at any problem that you know came up. And then he had John Kreese, who was more helpful to him and more supportive and in his life more, but had the double-edged sword of being you know abusive and um, a very bad influence. And then after that, so far as we know, Johnny doesn't talk about some other father figure or some other important relationship in his life that he learned from and grew from. And we see him really just kind of stuck in this holding pattern from when he was in high school. So then it does make sense that you know he had these relationships and he felt really burned by them. He felt you know like he just couldn't trust anybody. And then – he doesn't have another role model for years. And then even even uh, in the seasons that we've seen, um, he, he lets John Kreese back into his life. I think, um, you know, I think it's very human to have a past relationship with someone and it didn't go well. And then, you, you know, you, you give them another chance. You miss them. The, your relationship with, with them wasn't completely negative. And you just kind of – you want something in your life again. That's very human. And it, it didn't something turn out. Bad is better than, something bad is better than nothing at all. Almost. Right. <laughs> and, and fortunately, that's not always true. It's sometimes it's better to just be alone. Yeah. But, yeah. But, yeah. But emotionally, you want to have something. So let me ask you because that brings about a, a huge thing that comes in this in the show, speaking of those darn kids, right. is the mentor-mentee relationship. Right. And it explores a lot of what that's supposed to look like, what it shouldn't look like. How much in your real life, because, I mean, obviously this is something you must deal with in, in your real psychology field and what you're doing with sports. What is – is that really something that exists that often? Is there really a mentor-mentee? I know they exist. I know they're out there. But there is a fine line between this is a coach that coaches me and a mentor that mentors me, Right. Mm-hmm. Do you see a lot of mentor-mentee relationships like they show in the shows and the movie, or is it kind of not quite 
on the nose. It doesn't quite fit the real scenario of what actually happens. Sure. Hmm. Yeah, a lot of coaches do end up being that parental figure. Um, maybe, maybe it's because uh, the coach takes a special interest in, in an athlete. Maybe it's a really good athlete. Or maybe the coach understands that the person doesn't have um, stability or uh, other parental figures in their life. So that definitely does happen. Um, and, and then sometimes the coach doesn't even necessarily know. Or sometimes um, you know, the coach doesn't know that they're having as big of an impact on the athlete as, as they are. Um, sometimes... Um, um, you know, the, the co coaches are trying to help everybody in the room or everybody on the field or whatever it is. And then for some athletes, they might not even say anything. They might not indicate that it's more of a special relationship, but they just don't have anybody else in their life. So then for those couple hours a day when they get to practice and they get the attention of the coach and they get the camaraderie of their team, that's their time to have stability. Um or if coaches provide uh, snacks, cliff bars, maybe meals here and there, that might be the one meal that the athlete gets that day in certain situations. So uh, even if the coach isn't even aware of it, um, they can play that really important figure in the athlete's life. But then oftentimes the coaches actually are aware of it. They check in. They give the student a ride home every once in a while. They stay late so that students can stay late because they don't have anywhere else to go. Um, so I think it, for the most part, it is a realistic depiction. Uh, you know, it's dramatized a little bit, but or, or a lot, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but it is a, a, a fairly realistic um, depiction. And just like in real life, some coaches are great influences. Some co coaches, even though they're providing um, you know an outlet, they might be a bad influence and there's everything in between too. Hmm. Interesting. Well, yeah, I think about, I think about Crease and mm -hmm. Johnny, right. Mm -hmm. and, and Miyagi, Mr. Miyagi, uh, should we call him Miyagi or should we call him Mr. Miyagi? Out of respect. <laughs> what do you think? Respect is Mr. Miyagi. Uh, yeah. Mr. Miyagi, right. Uh, Mr. Miyagi and Daniel, right. Um, so you have Johnny who probably at home and they, and the, and Cobra Kai lays it out. Probably got no support from this from stepdad, right? He goes to Cobra Kai, and there's Crease, this big tough guy who says, "I believe in you because I believe that you're a winner. You're not a loser. You, you you know what I mean? You're the toughest guy. You're the toughest badass on this block. You know you run this show." And he does the same thing that Crease did with him with Miguel, right? Like you see that, like he's like Miguel, you're you're my student. You're you are the Cobra Kai. Cobra Kai rises and falls with you right he's the heart and soul of cobra kai and with miyagi and, and daniel it was a little bit more nurturing and it wasn't so much about like you know i guess putting what would you say like self-inflating daniel but like just giving him his confidence back like basically saying hey look you're still a person you mean something you're like you're a part of all this it's not that you're in charge and you're going to force people to like respect you. You're going to earn their respect by being a good person and things like that and doing things out of kindness and, and all that stuff. So like that's what I kind of see in Cobra Kai, the two different things, because he takes um, 
because Daniel actually tries with his daughter, if I'm not mistaken. And like you said, he has no relationship with his son. But then there's Johnny's son, right? And, and he takes him in and, like, you can kind of see. And it's like, I don't know. I kind of see, like, the struggles there between Miguel and I can't remember the kid's name. I'm sorry. I'm, I should know the kid's name. What's his name? Robbie? Uh, Johnny's son? It, yeah, it's Robbie, right? Yeah. right? Yeah, so you see them too, and you're kind of like, it's it's Danny and Johnny all over again, mm-hmm. right? Except kind of like a reverse, where Miguel, the poor kid, who's like, still has that sense of humble in him, right? And you're like, oh my gosh, he's turning into like this badass, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's uh, oh, the, uh, 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 do you have any uh, other thoughts? Well, the, the the other part about that is what I was going back to was the whole coach relationship thing is that, um, you know, I, it, you know, I had I had met somebody who was a, a high school coach in uh, Georgia where uh, football is like almost like another religion there. And he uh, has been at this high school now. He's been a coach for 40 years, but he's been at this one high school for the last 20. And he's won numerous state championships. And he says it because of where he's at and where the kids come from. It's very poor and like it's very much a struggle for the kids there. Like like you said, some kids the only the only male person they have in their life is him. And he says those kids will play through a brick wall. Now earlier in his career, he he thought the best job to get would be at some private school. So he was at a private school for ten years. They paid him well. These kids never had to worry about where their next meal was coming from. So this, so playing football was like an escape for them, just something to do exercise, right? So they really didn't have like that, that second level of like ferocity that's needed in like some of these sports, like, like, uh, like MMA, UFC. You kind of need to have that little bit of like, you know, this guy is coming to like take my stuff type of fear, right? And you're defending yourself. Um, whereas these kids. And he said nothing wrong with that. It's just you could tell the difference right. between the two. So it, it and you kind of see this in Coburg High as well, where like you see the the difference between the two dichotomies there. Like you have the valley, like you said, the really rich right across the street because they they co-mingle with each other. And on the other side of the street, these kids are struggling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, Hmm, let's see, I'm trying to trying to think of, of where to start. But I guess to, to address the, the last point you're making, the, it really does highlight the uh, the wealth inequality and the different the, just the different situations people are in. Uh, it's yeah, watching the, the training montages, you see Cobra Kai, who uh, Miguel is um, you know uh, uh, from a lower income background, and you don't really know about the rest of them. I mean, there's also Hawk and Aisha, and they come from more money, but the others you're not really sure about. Uh, but you They're see, kind what, of backgrounders, if you will. Yeah, yeah, the red shirts. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you you you, uh, you see them training, and they're running through forests, uh, you know, attacking each other and they're running from dogs in a junkyard and, and they're in a cement mixer just covered in, in, uh, cement and, and just kind of grossness and just trying to move the cement maker mixer from the inside. 
and then you cut to the the LaRussos or the Miyagido kids and they're on the beach, just a beautiful sunset in the background, and they're doing sort of like kata or some tai chi style exercises, or they're in a beautiful garden uh, on Mr. Miyagi's like uh, old home, or they're uh, in uh, Daniel LaRusso's uh, Encino sort of like McMansion or or wherever he's living, just in some a beautiful beautiful estate, and then when you see it cut back and forth like that. It's like wow, yeah. There's like there's the Cobra Kai kids who we already know are like a ragtag group of misfits um, who were bullied their whole lives and or they're overcoming all the, this adversity. And then we cut to uh, Miyagi Do, and we don't know that much. When there's the large group, we really don't know that much about them. And we know there's Robbie, who Johnny's son, and he comes from a lot of adversity. Um, but then there's uh, Samantha Larusso who, you know, uh, she just wants people to be nice. <laughs> she, she, has a, <laughs> she has You know, I'm on the fence about that because Robbie, Robbie has that fight, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? Robbie has that fight, you know, because he's been without, like, you see a poor kid. He's yeah. in an apartment. His mom ditches him to Mexico, and there's no power. He's, like, eating cereal with water or something like that, right? Like, he doesn't even have milk. And uh, there's there's Danny's daughter who's got like the best of everything, mm-hmm. and like, like literally, you, if you were, and that's what I'm saying. Like, it seems like Robbie would be would be uh, I guess on par with Miguel as far as like skill, but I think just the fact that Robbie's probably had a rougher go, mm-hmm. that he's probably a little bit more ferocious in this type of like environment. Wouldn't you agree with that? Yeah, uh, Robbie's definitely had. Well, the the it's hard to say because they both ha- Robbie and Miguel have both had rough lives. Uh, Miguel is um, originally from Ecuador. We don't know too much about his background, but the mom says his dad was a really bad guy, and then we we had to we had to leave we had to leave Ecuador to get away from him. Um, so it's kind of implying that maybe. He was in a militia or a gang or something, or maybe he's just abusive. Uh, so, so we know we know that about Miguel, and then we know that um, he lives on the more poor, rougher side of town, and he has been jumped a few different times that we that we know of. Um, and then Robbie, uh, he's also had a, a rough background where. Um, you know, Miguel has family stability. He has his grandma. He has his mother. They they love him. They want to take care of him. They can't help him physically because he's out there getting beat up all the time. But when he comes home, he he does have that love of from his family. And then Robbie, um, he you know uh, now Johnny wants to be in his life, but we don't know where Johnny was before. And uh, his mom was more or less there for him, or like just in his life, but then also very unstable, uh, you know, not necessarily paying the bills all the time, leaving for long extended periods of time. Robbie gets involved in these con artist kids, um, just, uh, you know, uh, stealing things, uh, scamming people, um, and... uh, so so yeah, it's it's they're they're different backgrounds. Uh, they're they're both they're both uh, they've both overcome a lot of adversity. And then I guess that's probably why they're both um, 
you know, good matches for each other. You know? So, yeah, it's, but it's hard for me to say that, that there, one for sure has overcome more than the other. Kind of makes it kind of an, an interesting twist is that you're not with those two characters, no matter what their 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 historical background is. You know that the characters themselves both have a little bit of fight for different reasons. It, it makes it less good versus evil almost, right? Because right. it gets so muddy those waters, it kind of almost becomes: was there ever really a bad guy? Really? I mean, you know, maybe, but. Everybody has that other side of the story, which is a lot of things that I see in storytelling, just in general overarching you know, storytelling these days, is that a lot of things, I mean, and Disney's number one at doing this, is you almost don't feel bad for the good guy, and you almost don't feel like the bad guy is really all that bad. You almost feel sorry for them a little bit, you know? And I think the storytelling of building a more dynamic story where it's not really good versus evil in the classical sense it's like us versus the world and what the world's throwing at us in in a sense right and just events happen and mistakes get made um i mean heck if you looked at the trailer yet i don't know if you guys have seen the trailer yet you know the first scene in the trailer is uh yeah i mean it's it's you know his eyes open so it's like now what um so you know it's not about somebody being the bad guy somebody being the good guy it's really about what's now going to happen next, right. you know? And I think that's a very interesting thing that we see in a lot of storytelling now, that kind of, that kind of situation. Yeah. They, they do follow a very game of Thrones style uh, <laughs> version of storytelling where, you know, you see, you see things from Johnny's side and then you go, Oh wow. Yeah. Uh, I definitely see why Johnny thinks that, um, uh, you see things from Daniel's side. Uh, sometimes Daniel's just full of it in the Cobra Kai series, but then other times you go, "Oh man, yeah, he's really miss- missing Mr. Miyagi. He's really feeling lost right now." And you and you you feel for him. And it's the same thing with with the kids too. You, you see things from Miguel's side, and then you go, "Yeah, I want Miguel to win. I want him to do his best." You see something from Robbie's side. You see how his mom's always missing, how his dad uh, wasn't there for him in the past, so he doesn't trust his dad now. And, and, and you feel for the kid. Uh, you know, I don't agree with uh, the decisions that uh, any all of the characters make all the time, but you, know, you really feel for them, yeah. <laughs> well, that's the fun of it, too, right? Well, I, mean, I, had a, more I had a yeah. Well, I had a question for you. When you come sure. across – I don't know if you come across this in your, in your field – uh, what I what I saw over like a couple like episodes in the second season of Cobra Kai um, was uh, Dan, uh, was, uh, was Johnny really like he he's basically he, Miguel uh, teacher in other words if I'm not mistaken that's what Sensei uh, kind of translates to uh, but he also kind of like wants Miguel to be more like his son he kind of uh, confides into him you know the day my son was born I didn't I wasn't with him because I, I was drunk. And mm-hmm. I missed out on so much of his life, and now he's gone. Because, like, apparently Robbie really, like, the last interaction they had together, like, Robbie made it clear that, you know what, I wanted to be a part of your life. I tried. You pushed me away. Now it's done. It's over, right? Uh, and then he finds out he's working for, for LaRusso, and that's, like, the ultimate stab mm-hmm. in the heart, right, for Johnny. Right. And that's when he ha- decides to have that conversation with Miguel about being more, more like, he's basically telling Miguel without telling him, hey, look. I'm more than your coach slash teacher. I want you. And Daniel's almost doing the same thing. He's kind of like, you know, I have a daughter. I love her. 
but it's different because like I want Miyagi to be able to pat you know what mm-hmm. Miyagi did to me, I want to be able to pass to somebody else. And Robbie seems to be like that. Holy cow! Like this guy, you know, is giving me every opportunity. I've screwed him over, and he's still like, you know, you know. He was like, "Look, I understand why you did it. Let's move on. I still care about you. He still cares about me. He's doing all this stuff for me. He lets me come over his house and all that other stuff. Totally trust me with his daughter, which I always say that's a bad idea. But he trusts <laughs> me with his daughter alone. And uh, what? Remember, her friend calls him Mister Abs, right? Because like the oh, kid's God. like one of those Abercrombie and Fitch models, right? And uh, and he knows karate, so that makes him even more like you know alluring, so to speak. But he's a really good student too, and he seems to be a good kid, like Miguel. And I'm thinking, like, had the situations been uh, somewhat different, which I know, then we won't have a show. Like, they could be cool. But going back to the relationships, like, do you see that in your profession where you see like a coach kind of like taking on that that extra level with like one of their athletes, so to speak? Like putting it out there, as you say, Ernie, on Front Street, right? Where they're literally having the conversation. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I, I would imagine that that happens. Um, I would, I would imagine that it's pretty common. I'm trying to, I'm trying to kind of skim through my memory and think, like, uh, you know, because I, I had coaches who were very influential um, at different times in my life. And I'm trying to think, like, oh, did we ever have that actual, that direct conversation? Like, hey, you know, you're, you've been like a son to me. Uh, I don't think that necessarily happened. I'm trying to think if if um, if I can remember other athletes letting me know that that happened with some of their coaches. Um, you know, I, I, think, I think people do kind of acknowledge the relationship as being very important. Um, and I think that there are definitely occasions when they like say it out loud, like, you know, you, you're like a son to me, you're like a father to me, or you're, you know, you're like a daughter to me, or you're like a mother to me, whatever. Um, uh, and, and actually I have, um, I, now, now that I think about, okay, I have had experiences where, um, uh, Maybe uh, teams that I've worked with have said like, oh, you know, uh, she's like our mom or she's, you know, this and that. So I, th- I think it does get spoken out loud. But I, th- I think I would guess that most of the time it just kind of goes unspoken and both people know it. But in sports, oftentimes you don't actually talk about feelings too much, um, you know, uh, and it would probably be better if if people did a, a little at least a little bit more. But, yeah, but then you'd be out of a job. I mean, that's kind of your whole thing. I mean, that's what you do. You force the emotion. Oh, you know, force. Yeah. But you get that emotion part of it out there because that is helpful. Yeah. I mean, especially to express it or at least, you know, 90% of the problem is just acknowledging that there's a problem, right? I mean, or in this case, a good thing, right? Um, now, on the opposite side of it, though, you got to also think about the negative coaches out there, right? Where especially younger athletes and they have these really just detrimental coaches – and they may feel uncomfortable telling their parents, or they may be uncomfortable leaving, or they have nowhere else to go. That, that, that was Crease. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that was um, I got to imagine that happens in real life, too. I mean, obviously, there's not a lot of, if there's a bad coach, it's, you know, they're going to be gotten rid of pretty quickly for the most part. But you hear about it. I mean, uh, going back to, to gymnastics was a perfect example. There are a lot of coaches that, you know, got really big trouble for a lot of reasons. And it's like, it does exist. 
mean, is that something you've personally seen where you really had to sit with a coach and like, look, dude, you got to got to change some of your messages this is a little this isn't right you know it's abusive more so than anything but have you ever seen that in, in your profession uh, let's see um i'm sure i have i don't i haven't seen it to the full extent of you know uh like real you know uh like abuse like like the went on uh, in gymnastics in michigan or right. you know some of those more infamous coaches uh, right. But I've definitely seen uh, coaches who were t- just more harsh than they needed to be or maybe had sort of like a dysfunctional environment. Mm. And the issue, uh, at least with my intervening, is that uh, there's a there's usually a power dynamic where the coach kind of hires me to come in and then um, even though I'm, 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 I'm working, I'm helping the team – my boss is the coach. So then, <laughs> so if, and there's this problem that a lot of people in sports psychology, sports psychology are aware of where, okay, if the coach is being, you know, do creating a dysfunctional environment, if the coach is doing these things that are killing morale and that are making it harder for the athletes, you want to help, but you got to tread lightly because you say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing. Now you're gone and the athletes have less help. Um, so, but there has been times when I've talked to a head coach about maybe some assistant coach or about uh, a dynamic on the team that, you know, I have suggestions for. Um, but if, yeah, if there was ever, uh, uh, like a head coach who is, you know, causing a real problem, uh, I would have to. I would have to, you know, weigh my choices. Like, do I keep helping the team and be kind of like an outlet for the team to, to, uh, you know, talk about their grievances and help support them and then help them to like get through that experience? Or do I go directly to the coach and then say, yeah, and try to tactfully say, Hey, I see this going on. And, you know, I think it's having some negative consequences. And I think this other way of behaving would be better for you know for the team getting better practices and then performing better and uh, and then maybe that would be helpful or maybe I would be gone. Um, <laughs> it's so, not them, it's you. <laughs> <laughs> but then maybe that little intervention could put a seed in the coach's mind, and then maybe even though I'm gone, maybe they would still start changing their behavior a little bit. So you really got to just kind of uh, weigh those pros and cons. Yeah, and that sounds like something well, you'd have to, talk, had, to go through, yeah. Yeah. I had one more thought on this. Yeah. Uh, I believe it was in the movies, especially the first one, where, like, it. this tells you how, like, fearless – I don't. well, I don't know if he, he would call it fearless. Like, the way Miyagi approached life, like, he wanted to do the right thing. He took Daniel after he got beat up and took went to Cobra Kai and confronted, like yeah. – John like confronted the whole group of them. Like he remember he walked in with them, and I I don't know if Daniel asked him. He goes he goes what why are we doing this? Don't you know how these these guys are bad? He goes they're not bad guys, just bad yeah. teaching, right? right? So he goes mm. and confronts them, and how like he stood toe to toe, and he wasn't intimidated at all. Mm-hmm. You go to the Cobra Kai series, and you see how Johnny and Daniel act to one another. And I'm and I'm wondering, does Daniel like probably at some point like goes back and remembers that of like 
it's not the it's not the kids that are bad. It's the teaching that's bad, right? So do you think like because he starts doing the same thing he starts doing some shady stuff to johnny also like he tried to get the uh the owner of the strip mall to raise his rent right he tried to like uh, get him in trouble get not allow him to get into the all valley tournament like he did all these things um the the uh the celebration Mm -hmm. i think was like a was like a, a slap in the face but like do you see do you see it like um like more or less like the student's mirroring the actions of the coaches a lot in your profession like you kind of see like cookie cutter type situations like the the kid's not really like that but he's like being molded into that so mm-hmm. to speak hmm i think i think that could definitely happen uh in my role that i play i don't necessarily see it that much because i might be doing you know one-on-one work with just an athlete or I might be doing, um, you know, teamwork like with with the whole team. If if I'm doing that, then I don't necessarily um, see that much of each individual's personality. And then if I'm working with just an individual athlete, I don't necessarily know all that much about the coach except for what the the athlete tells me. Um, so in my role, I don't necessarily see it that much, but. I'm sure that it happens a lot where, um, you know, athletes take on a lot of the attributes of the coach. And we see it in Cobra Kai where Hawk, you know, Eli uh, Moskowitz, I think, um, you know, I, I love that character. Uh, I have a soft spot for him. I do too. He's yeah. one of my favorites. Yeah. yeah. He's one of my favorites. He is kind of a, he is a villain. Um, he's, he's making some bad choices. Uh, Miguel does a much better job of hearing Johnny Lawrence's teachings and then taking the stuff that really works and, you know, and that is going to work for Miguel and using that stuff. And Miguel doesn't seem to make as many um, sort of mistakes or bad decisions. He does, but not as many as Hawk. And Hawk is is more um, – he's more taking a lot of the lessons about – being a badass and striking first and all that stuff. And, you know, it really, it really makes sense because uh, Hawk, you know, he was born with a cleft palate. He had a surgery to, to get that, um, uh, he had corrective surgery, but it left him with a big scar. And it seems as if he was bullied pretty viciously his entire life. Mm-hmm. So now he's taking a lot of that pain, a lot of that inner rage that was always in there. And then now it's getting an outlet. And, um, and, you know, as much as I love that character Hawk and, and as fun as he can be at times, you know, he's he, he's on a he's on a, an arc. He's on his own journey. Hopefully he grows a lot and then learns he doesn't he doesn't need to be a bully himself. He can, um, you know, relax a little bit more, be a little bit more just kind of genuine versus putting on uh, so much of a persona. But that would be an example of, you know, someone taking more of the bad teachings or just applying those same teachings, but just in kind of a negative way and and taking on the the the, um, you know, the uh, rougher qualities of of a coach. No, that makes that makes sense. So um, I'm really it's been a great conversation. I love this. And there's so much more to explore in the next season because it's coming out very soon, we believe, we hope. Um, 
what are some of the things with these kids kind of sum up the episode, if you will, what some from some of these kids you want to kind of see happen with their arcs as far as the stories coming on. And what about that love triangle? Right. I mean, come on. Now. <laughs> we, need, we need some action here. Let's go. Right. I know. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, hopefully it uh, well in, the, in a little bit of a teaser, mm. this, at least for the teaser that I've seen, I didn't see too much. But we get Miguel to have like that Jon Snow moment where he just kind of <laughs> opens his eyes. And, <gasps> yeah. If so he starts know, walking again, I'm going to have some problems. OK, that's all I'm <laughs> saying. OK. So so Miguel, uh, he's back from the dead. He's alive. Um Hopefully he gets physical therapy. Hopefully he's able to uh, sooner or later start competing again uh, or just, you know, uh, training in karate or just, you know, kind of living his purpose. Because Miguel was really – he really found a purpose and a sense of kinship and all that stuff from Cobra Kai. Uh, Miguel's, for the most part, is the sec success story of Cobra Kai. So I, I would love to see him continuing, if, if not with Cobra Kai, because uh, we don't really know what's going on with that, because Johnny left mm. and Chris took over. Um, yeah. So, But hopefully, uh, Cree, or not Chris, but Miguel and Johnny will sort of make amends, and they can um, you know, move forward, living a good life. Um, Robbie, we saw just like a little quick snapshot of him in some kind of uh, detentional center uniform. Um, mm. So we don't know. Like, if they're probably going to time jump because Robbie's probably going to be there in, for a while. Uh, Miguel's probably he's probably going to need a, a lot of physical therapy. So we're we're probably just going to jump forward in time. Um, Little montage action going on. It sounds like. Yeah, yeah. Samantha, uh, she's essentially another uh, main character. Uh, what I would like to see from her is more uh, actively facing adversity and more actively mm -hmm. overcoming it. Um, Samantha, uh, most of the things th that happened, she, she was just kind of like an observer, and she just kind of wanted everybody to be nice. And um, she didn't over – a lot of the Miyagi-Do people didn't really overcome that much compared to the Cobra Kai kids. Right. So, so I would love to see her overcome some kind of personal adversity. She's good in a fight. She's good at uh, uh, you know being down and out in a fight and then coming back and winning. But personally, uh, she wasn't the one who stood up to the mean popular girls – uh, her friend Aisha did that. Mm -hmm. uh, she was like she didn't play too much of an active role in any of the events. So I would like her to actually overcome something. Um, that might be her big arc is that she finally mm -hmm. stands up. You yeah. know, well there, there's the there's the anti Sam Tory right. Right. Yeah. Auntie Sam. There you go. <laughs> yeah. And then Tori. Yeah, I guess Tori, I would like to actually learn more about her and see where she's from. Other than probably being poor and probably having a lot of adversity in life and somehow getting really good karate training. We don't mm. really know anything about her. So so hopefully we, we learn more about her. Um yeah, there's a lot. And then hopefully we see Hawk again, maybe with a different colored mohawk. There you go. 
That's what it's all about, right? It's all about the yeah. pockets. It's all we care about. Yeah. What's the, the colors? Hopefully, he kind of redeem himself a little bit more as far as you know, learning to be less of a bully, but still having his confidence and still, you know, being a cool guy. Hopefully he doesn't go even more into the dark side with Crease, which is also a possibility. Uh, yeah, he'd be the uh, the little pad one there of the evil. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's a lot to look forward to. The new season's coming out very, very soon, we hope. Fingers crossed on that front. We'll all be watching very, very much and more to come. Um, we want to thank everybody for listening and watching today uh, from wherever you're listening or watching. So good times. Thank you guys so much. Thanks for our fans. Uh, and, of course, as always, Doctor, if you will. Insert tagline here. Insert tagline here, guys. We will talk to you guys next time. <laughs> Bye. And that's another episode of Two Nerds and a Joke. Follow Robert and Ernie on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and subscribe to their YouTube channel.